Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Honestly, that, that really is the gospel, right? It's changed lives. It's transformed lives. It's, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was blind, but now I see. It's, it's people being changed. It's our lives being changed more and more to look like Jesus from glory to glory every day. That tomorrow I wake up and I look more like Jesus than I did today. And that today I look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. That I could stand in front of people and say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because Jesus said, as the Father sends me into the world, so I send you. With every intention that we would walk through this world and, and represent Jesus to people. And I'm just, I'm, if my life was to, to end today, I would be happy to know that I got to be part of seeing people's lives changed and that God used me that way. It'd be so worth it. But it's not going to, because I think I'm going to live to be 110. I do. I'm going to live to be 110, I think. Um, Because I've got a good covenant with a good God that really loves me. And um, so, isn't, I just, I feel like, I don't know, all week God's been talking about this, so I want to get this out of the way before I launch into the message. Anybody here dealing with insecurity in your life? Any, anybody? Lift your, it, it just raise your hands up if you are. Yeah, okay, good, okay. So I do hear from him. Um, listen, insecurity is simply you believing something about yourself that's not true or not believing things about yourself that are true. Finding things that you label yourself by or that you, you call yourself that are outside of what God speaks over you. And so you don't understand who you are. And here's the thing about insecurity is it will always make sure that you see what you're looking for. If you're insecure in an area, it will always make sure to point it out to you over and over again. You'll always see what you're looking for. If you're insecure in front of people, when you see somebody laugh, immediately you'll think they're laughing at me. You know, if you're insecure in in your work and you see the boss talking to somebody and someone happens to look your way, you'll think, well, they're talking about me. If you're insecure in an area, that insecurity will keep highlighting things and make sure that you see what you're looking for and it'll reinforce your feelings of insecurity and it will tighten its grip on your life. And the only way that you deal with insecurity is by cutting its head off and saying, listen, this is who I am. I am who God called me to be. I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm loved by Him. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made for good works that He appointed beforehand that I should walk in them. That every single day I wake up, I have the Spirit of the living God inside of me. He lives and breathes inside of me. My life is is in His hands and I'm doing what He's called me to do. And my life is on the path that He's placed me on. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me every day of my life. And I'll dwell in His house forever. And remind yourself of that. And if you start to feel insecure, remind yourself that that's a lie that does nothing to do with who you are. And it's trying to keep you from becoming the person that you are and make you something that you were not designed to be. So if you're dealing with insecurity, would you just, just raise up your hand right now? If you see someone around you that's dealing with it, just put your hand on their shoulder and we're just going to pray for them and speak truth over them right now. If you can, just yeah, put your hand. God, I thank you for who you've called us to be, God. 
Yeah, just, just begin to pray over them, speak life over them. You don't have to repeat after me. This is not that kind of prayer. And just agree with heaven over, over them for who they are. God, we thank you that we are above and not beneath, that we are blessed in the city and blessed in the field, blessed as we come, blessed as we go, God, that we are the head only and not the tail, above only and never beneath. God, I thank you that you live and dwell inside of me and that I am who you say that I am, God. God, that you created me, that you know me better than anybody else because you created me for a purpose. And my life has meaning and it has value. God, that I don't have to compare myself to anybody, God, but that I compare myself to Jesus because that's who you compare me to. And I thank you for that, God. I thank you for revealing to me areas of my life where I've believed lies about myself, where I've allowed insecurity to come in, where I haven't lived in the fullness that Christ died so that I could have. I rebuke any lie right now that would come against you, child of God, and tell you that you are less than what Jesus died for you to become. Any lie that would tell you that you're less than the person that God created you fearfully and wonderfully to make. That everything He created, when He looked at it, He said it's good. When He looked at man, when He looked at you, when He created you, He said it's very good. Very good. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for even this next week when the voice of the enemy, when the voice of insecurity starts to speak up, when doubt starts to arise. God, that your word rings stronger in our ears, that your voice speaks the truth that defeats the lie, that we never live in insecurity, that we know exactly who we are because of whose we are. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, I didn't realize there was going to be so many. I'd be, I'd have been stoked with two or three. <laughs> You know, well, it's like I'm not happy there's insecure people, but I am happy that, you know, because like God's been on me about that all week long. And it's like to see so many people raise their hands like I do hear from him. (laughs) Sometimes I do. I I just I'm thankful that people respond to sometimes it's a little bit scary to stick your hand up and say that you're battling insecurity. You know, the truth is, is the less you talk about it and the less you the more you hide it, the less it gets dealt with and the longer and stronger its grip on your life is. The minute you, 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 you even verbalize in front of somebody that you're struggling with it, it starts to diminish. The, the effect it has and the hold it has on your life starts to go away, right? Because it thrives in secret. It thrives in silence. It thrives in you feeling a way that nobody knows that you feel. And everybody looking at you thinks that you feel one way because you put on this face, but inside you feel a totally different way. And now you're a hypocrite because you're acting like somebody you're not. Hypocrite, right? It's that word for actor from the Greek. And it means that I'm portraying something that I'm not. That's all it means. It means that I walk around with this face on and everybody thinks that I, I have it all together and that I know who I am and I'm confident. But inside, every time I see somebody looking at me, all I can think is that they're judging me. They're looking at me to find flaw rather than because they love me. Maybe somebody's looking at you and laughing because they see joy all over you and they can't help but laugh when they look at you. Maybe they're looking at you because they see something in you that they admire that God created in you and they're actually wishing that it was them that had that. Maybe it's not because they're looking at you to find flaw. Maybe they're actually looking at you because they see what's right. God does that. He's not looking at you to find flaw. He's not looking at you to see sin. He's looking at you because he sees how beautiful his creation is. And his eyes are upon you not to find what's wrong with you, but because he sees what's right with you. Imagine that. God's looking at you and it's because he sees what's right. Not because he's trying to find what's wrong. He dealt with the wrong. That's done. That's dealt with on his end. Guys, you have to understand that, that Jesus came and he died long before you were created for the sin of the world. That means everything that you would do that was wrong, Jesus already paid the price for. He's not coming again to die for your sin again. So God's not looking at you to figure out how badly he has to punish Jesus again on your behalf. He's already dealt with that. It's done with. In his mind, it's settled. If we could get it settled in our minds, we'd live differently. 
He's looking at you because he loves you, because you're beautiful, because you're his creation, because he's proud of you, not to find what's wrong with you. His eyes are upon you, looking at you right now because he loves you and he sees everything right. Because all the wrong was dealt with at the cross. He's never again looking at you to judge you because he judged Jesus on your behalf. Yeah. You need to believe that because that will change your life. (laughs) You'll live differently when you believe that because you'll live from his approval, not for his approval. You won't keep score every day and wonder if you did enough to be good enough for him to love you. You'll wake up in the morning and know that he loves you and then you'll be good enough because you are good enough. (laughs) That changes everything, right? Yeah. He wanted to make sure that you never ever in your life had to live so that you were fighting for his approval. So he gave his approval to you through his son, Jesus. And in him, all his promises are yes and amen. All of them. All his promises. See, here's the thing. The enemy can't change who you are. Right? He can't because he's not a creator. When he speaks, nothing happens unless somebody reacts. Think about it. When God speaks, something happens. Something is created. When God speaks, creation comes out of his mouth and things happen. Things are created. When the enemy speaks, he has no creative power. So all he can hope for is a response from you. And he can't change what God said about you. So the best he can do now is try to change your mind about who God is and what he said about you. And so rather than accusing you to God, now he comes and accuses God to you. And every time that happens, you just remind him that, listen, we exalt angels. You know, there are these beings that get to be in his presence and they're holy enough. Think about it. The angels are holy enough to be in the presence of God who is holy and nothing unholy can be in his presence. And yet Hebrew says, to which of the angels did God ever say, come and be seated at my right hand? And then Paul tells us that we're seated at the right hand of him because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Yeah. So if the enemy comes and tries to tell you you're less than who God says that you are, just remind him that your position in Christ is higher than that of the angels. And that they wish they had what you have. They wish they had what you have. Your position is higher than that of the angels. It says for a time he made Christ lower than that of the angels, but now that he's resurrected, his position is at the right hand of the Father where he's seated, where all the angels would love to be and none of them are. And you're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Man, that, that alone should take care of your insecurity. To know that God looked at you and said, come be seated at my right hand. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? Good. See? You're doing good. Sometimes you just don't realize it. Right? Truthfully, you are. You're doing amazing today because you're alive and God is on His throne and you're seated in heavenly realms with Him and you are covered with a robe of righteousness and your identity is sealed once and for all as being a son, a daughter of God and nothing can shake that and nothing can change that. You're doing amazing every day. Just some days you don't realize how amazing you really are doing. Sometimes you just need to be reminded a little bit. You guys, be in the Word. Read the Word and realize that it's for you, that God's speaking this stuff to you and about you and for you. Devour the Word and let the Word be, you consume it till it consumes you. The easier you have the Word on your lips, the easier you defeat the attack of the enemy. Think about it. Jesus gave us the blueprint for how to fight off the enemy. The enemy comes to him and attacks him three times and three times Jesus answers him back with the Word of God. 
It is written. It is written. It is written. Why? Because God said it. He already defeated the enemy with his word. And all Jesus had to do was echo back what God had already spoke. And the enemy is defeated. It's the same thing for you guys. God's already said it. The answer has already been provided. But you have to know it. You have to be able to, to, to speak the word back when the attack comes. So when the attack comes, it tells you you're not good enough. You start answering it back with what the word of God says about you. When the attack comes, it tells you that you're dirty and you're filthy because of things that you've done. You answer back with what the word says. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he became sin who knew no sin so that I could have that. And I will not let you steal that from me. I'm going to live in it and I'm going to enjoy it. What can he say? The devil comes and he does it to Jesus three times. And it says, and after the third time, he left him alone for an opportune time. When's the next time he came and accused Jesus and tried to get Jesus to think that he wasn't the son of God? At the very last second when he was on the cross, the soldiers, if you are the son of God. He left him alone in between. Why? Because he understood, I can't change his mind. He knows who he is. Something about Jesus responding with the word of God defeats the enemy to the point that he decides, you know what? He knows who he is. I'm going to leave him alone. I'm just saying it worked for Jesus. Maybe we ought to give it a shot. Maybe we haven't come up with a new way of fighting off the enemy since Jesus did it that is better. Well, that was good, Jesus, but check this out, right? No, Jesus was Chuck Norris when it came to the devil, okay? So your idea stinks compared to his. If you got your Bibles, open up to Genesis 17. Um, we're going to be continuing on with our talk about covenant. We're going to be talking about the changing of names today. Um, some really amazing stuff in here. Uh, Genesis 17 says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and you will and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant to you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings will come from you. God, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we have your word, that we can read it, learn it, know it, see it, believe it, God, that we can repeat it back when the enemy comes and tries to tell us that we're something that we're not. God, that you've already spoken, that it's settled. That your creative word has gone forth. God, I thank you that, that as we study your word, as we speak from your word, Holy Spirit, I ask that you just open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to, to believe that we are all that you say that we are, that we have all that you say that we have, God, that we would live from that place in Jesus' name. Amen. So God comes to Abram. And he changes his name to Abraham. And later on in this chapter, he changes Sarai's name to Sarah. But, but notice what he says to him before that. He says to Abraham, he says that you will be the father of nations. I have made you the father of many nations. I will make nations from you. This is a recurring theme that keeps happening over and over again. And God is always speaking about the past, the present, and the future all in one. See, Abraham doesn't even have a child yet. He doesn't have a male child that can carry on his line. There's no way that he's going to be the father. Right now, he's not the father of any. 
Never mind the father of many. He's not the father of anything. He has nothing he can pass his lineage on to. He's going to have to pass it on to a son who was born in his house to one of his servants because he doesn't have a son that he can pass his stuff on to that can carry on the name and that would go on to reproduce and create a lineage that would never mind create a nation. But God comes to him and he says, you will be, I have made you, I will make. You guys, in our lives too, we've got to understand and we've got to be comfortable and be okay with God speaking to us about who we are going to be because of who we have become. He always will do that. He's speaking to us about the present and he's talking about our future, but it's always going to be about because of who we have become, who we have been made. Because even though we don't see it at the time that he's speaking to us, God sees us for who we will become, for who he created us to be. And he's so confident in his plan for our lives coming to pass that he can't even help but to speak to us as though it already has. So he says to Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations. I will make you the father I will make nations from you, which is true, all of them. So God says that I'm not going to call you Abram anymore. I'm going to change your name to Abraham. Abram meant the mighty father. Abraham means the father of many. But what's really amazing about this is not just what the name change means, but it's how he changed his name. See, back in those days when they would speak about God, they didn't even dare to speak His name. They weren't comfortable speaking His name because He was so holy and they were so unholy that they didn't even dare to have His actual name come from, his ma- from their mouths. And so when they would speak of God, it was, have you ever seen the, the, the Y-H-W-H? Right? And that would later become Yahweh. Right? But at that time, it wasn't. It was just Yahweh. That was what they would say when they would speak of God. It was just that breath of God that they would speak. They didn't even dare to say His name. It was So this is how they would speak when they spoke of God. And then God comes and He takes Abram, who is just a man, and He actually says, I'm going to give you a new name. And He takes who He is and He places it into Abram. And Abram becomes Abraham. And the very breath of God comes into Abraham's name and it changes and it changes him from mighty father to the, to the father of many. Every time God breathes on something, it's expanded. Every time God breathes on something, it multiplies. Every time God breathes on something, it grows, it changes, and it's always bigger, it's always better. Always. Think about it. God grabs a lump of dirt and He breathes on it and it becomes man. His very breath, when it enters into something, changes it and expands it. And he says to Abraham, he says, your name is no longer going to be Abram, but I'm going to place my name into you. It's like when I got married, my wife went from being Patty Savala to being Patty Gizzi. My name went into her. And this is what he's doing with Abraham. He says, I'm going to give you a new name and I'm going to take your name and I'm going to place myself into it. And now no one will ever be able to speak your name without that sound, that the breath of God coming out of their mouth as they say your name because we're in covenant together. No longer can anyone speak to my wife and use her full name without my name being spoken at the same time. And it was the same thing with Abraham. There was no way that from that day forward anyone would ever speak his name without God's name being said with it. God did that. It's that sound. So he becomes Abraham. And Sarai becomes Sarah. It's that sound. It's God placing Himself into their names and actually placing Himself into them. That sound is, is, is in the Hebrew word is ruah. It means wind, spirit, breath. The sound in, in the Greek is pneuma. 
It means wind, breath, spirit. The Holy Spirit is the holy pneuma. It's the breath of God. It's the creative part of God. It's what God places into something and it changes. And so he places that into Abram and Abram changes and becomes Abraham. This is a life-changing thing. It's not a little deal. It's no longer will you be separated from me by anything and not even by name because now even saying your name will say my name. It's a big deal. It's life-changing. It's not just this little thing where Abram came and this happened and, oh, good, I'm going to have kids now. Thank you, God. Now, this was life-changing and life-altering for Abram as he entered into covenant with the God of the universe. And the God of the universe entered into covenant with him. And so, he believes God, right? When God says that he's going to make him the father of many nations, he believes him. Even though at the time it doesn't look like he can. Even though at the time he doesn't have a son. Even though at the time it doesn't make sense. Even though at the time he's old and his wife is old. He's 99 years old. There's no way this can happen, right? There's no physical way. But Abraham believes him. Why? Because it doesn't matter if you can comprehend. It doesn't matter if you can conceive what God's called you into in your life. When God breathes his breath into it, it changes everything. And you can't quantify that by numbers, by age, or by human ability. When God breathes into something, when God breathes on your life, it changes things. And it doesn't matter if you understand how. All that required is that you believe it. See, God breathed on your life when you became born again. The very breath of God. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But the very breath of God came into your life and everything changed. And even though at the time you didn't understand how and you didn't see and you still don't see everything that's going to happen as a result, you're a different person now. The very breath of God has come into your life. And this is what he does with Abraham, right? And so you can't judge by your current situation who you will become and who you have been made when the breath of God comes into your life. You just can't. You cannot judge by where you are or what's going on around you. And you can't conceive in your mind based on what you can see or what makes sense when God breathes on you. When God speaks something over you, everything changes. And all that's required is we have to believe it, right? It's the guy who, who is the shaky reed gets called Peter the Rock long before he's done being shaken. And the man who would one day stand in front of the very people who he wouldn't even admit that he knew Jesus, then one day, a few days later, after the breath of God comes onto his life, he stands in front of those same people, risking his own life, and says, now you see this Jesus, whom you have crucified as both Savior and Lord. And their hearts are pierced and cut, and they say, what must we do to be saved? Why? Because when Jesus spoke to him and spoke his, gave his breath upon him, everything changed. And even though Peter didn't act like it and didn't see it at the time, the shaky reed became the rock. Long before he stopped being shaken, well, I don't feel like a rock. It doesn't matter what you feel like because his, his words are stronger than your feelings. All he's waiting for is you to believe it and start acting like it. That's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you right now, you have to know that God loves you and he's looking at you to see everything right about you and not to see the things that are wrong with you. And it doesn't matter if you feel like that. It's the truth. And once your feelings line up with what's true, then you believe it and you'll start to live like it. And that's when things truly change. Without that, it's just knowledge which puffs up. So, I mean, think about it. Think about what God does when He comes, right? Here's a man who one day is dragging people off to be killed and, and, and slaughtered and persecuted. And the breath of God hits his life and he encounters God and his name goes from Saul to Paul. And the next year, that same guy is risking his own very life to bring the gospel to the people that he was trying to kill. 
It has nothing to do with where you are right now. No one would have thought Saul was... If, if they were taking a poll of who's going to be the one to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, Saul would have been the bottom of the lift. He would have been at the absolute bottom because he was the man who was the most feared man by the church of Jesus Christ because of his persecution of them. He wouldn't have even been on the ballot. David's not even a thought in his father's mind when he says, bring all your sons together. I'm going to anoint one of them to be king. His dad thinks so little of David, it doesn't even enter into his mind to even have him come and have the prophet look at him. And so all the sons pass before him and Samuel says, there must be another son. Well, I have one. He's over there. Bring him. He's the one. We won't even sit down until he gets here. Had nothing to do with where David was at the time. Had nothing to do with what it looked like to everybody else. Had nothing to do with his physical abilities. None of that stuff mattered. We value talent so much in this life. But the truth of the matter is, is talent without character is useless. Absolutely useless. You can have all the talent in the world and be so successful at things that God never called you to touch. If it's not submitted to God, it's useless. David didn't seem talented. He was thought so lowly of the only position he was given was to go watch the sheep. His dad doesn't even think to invite him for the prophet to see him. You understand that in his dad's mind, there was no chance that David was going to be the king. And David has to know this because it said he could see that there was a party going on. He says, there he is over there watching the sheep. David doesn't walk into the house and develop a complex and say, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be wounded and I'm going to need inner healing for the next 40 years because my dad didn't even think enough of me to invite me to come to this thing. He could have, right? So many of us would do that. We'll develop a complex and let the rest of our life be dictated by it. Get a victim mentality and say, well, I just have younger brother complex. Well, then get born again. Believe the truth. Get rid of that. Well, I just have middle child syndrome. Well, then let go of that. Unless you like it. If you don't like it, think something better. Believe the truth. David didn't walk into the house and go, you wait till one day when I'm king. (laughs) Suckers, you didn't invite me? Wait, just wait. That's human nature, right? It would have been, oh yeah, don't want to invite me. Look who's king now, boys. But it doesn't do that. It says that later after he's been anointed king, David goes and serves his brothers and brings them food while they're sitting up on the hill being threatened by Goliath. What does David do? Nothing. He goes back to what he was doing. He doesn't say, now that I'm the king, I shall no longer be watching the sheep. You boy, go. And bring me my slippers. And go fetch the best calf. We're going to have something to eat. And when I'm done, all of you can have what's left. He doesn't do that. He understands it's not about me, it's about the anointing on my life and I'm not going to lord it over people. I'm going to submit it to God and allow Him to raise me up. I was way outside the notes. Somebody needed to know that. I'm telling you, listen, it is not about who you are and what you possess. It's about submitting that to God and allowing Him to raise you up and place you where He wants you to be. David could have at any time he wanted to tried to take the throne from Saul. He was the rightful king. He was already anointed. The presence of God was already on him. But he submitted himself enough that he respected the man that held the position until God placed him in the position. Why? Because if he would have taken the throne, he would have had to defend the throne the rest of his life. You don't want to be sitting on a throne that you got there by your own doing. 
You want to know that you were placed there by the God of the universe because if He placed you there, then the only person that can take you off that throne is you or Him. You or Him. You live by the sword, then you die by the sword. You take the throne by the sword, then you get taken off the throne by the sword. You get to where you are by manipulating and conniving. You get taken out by manipulating and conniving. And you've got to stay there the whole time by manipulating and conniving. Don't do it. Submit it to God and trust that He'll exalt you And when it's time. Humble yourself before Him and let Him lift you up. So what about God, right? Because remember we said in this covenant, it wasn't just about man changing, but it also, everything that God did he, through man, He did in Himself, right? So Abraham takes on the name of God. God changes His name, places His name, His breath into Abraham's name. So what about God? Well, read, uh, open up your Bibles to Genesis 26. Just go forward a few chapters. Genesis 26. And remember when God reveals Himself to Moses, what, I mean to Abraham, what does He say to him? He says, I, the Lord, or the God Almighty, El. El is the oldest, El, El and Elohim, which is the plural for El, which is the triune God, is, is the oldest name of God. And this is what God revealed Himself to Abraham. He says to him, I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. I am God Almighty, right? The next time He reveals Himself to man, it says in Genesis 26, 24, the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. The next time God reveals himself to man, whose name is interjected into what he speaks? Abraham's. Why? Because Abraham took on God's name and God took on Abraham's. And no longer did he say, I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. He now says, I am the God of Abraham. Then he comes into covenant with his son because he's in covenant with Abraham. He says, because of my servant Abraham's sake, I will bless you. People will be blessed in your life because of your relationship with God if you stay faithful. If you just trust him and just follow him and submit your life to him, there will be people that will be blessed because of your sake. He says, I'll bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. The next time God reveals himself, he says, I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac. Then he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob becomes Israel. And then he's the God of Israel. See, and all along, God is taking in the names of people until he gets to the God of Israel. What does Israel mean? It means the one who contends with God. That was a, that was a good guess, though. Grace, Jesus, and the devil are the three children's church guesses. Right? Oh, praise. Yeah. Right? Like in children's church, the answer is always, yes? Jesus! No. The devil! He becomes the God of he who contends with God. It's very fitting that then when Jesus comes, the Messiah and the God of the very people he comes to be the Messiah of is crucified, persecuted, and killed by those who contend with God. And that's how God changes his name and he takes on their name, right? So God goes from being God Almighty to the God of Abraham to the God of Abraham and Isaac to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and finally to the God of Israel, which would be his nation, which would be his people who would fight with him and contend with him the way Jacob did with the angel. So what does that mean for us in the New Covenant, right? Because it's cool to see that in the Old Covenant. But remember, everything that was done in the Old Covenant, Jesus comes and fulfills. But we have an even better promise because we have a better covenant based on better promises according to Hebrews, right? So 
Last week we talked about the circumcision and how Abraham had an outward sign, but, but that we have been given a circumcision. Remember Colossians 2.11 says, And in him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, the flesh, the corrupted man, the person that had to die was cut off of who you are by the circumcision of Jesus. And that's the circumcision that we now receive rather than it being an outward sign. It's an inward thing that shows on the outside, Right? Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. When you see Paul speaking of the law, he's speaking of the old covenant that the law was instituted through. And so he says what the law couldn't do because it was weak. Why? Because, see, the law lacked the power to actually do what, what we were called to do. The law came and said, here, you do this. The problem is, is at the time, you were slaves, we were slaves to sin, right? The Bible says we're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. In other words, when we were doing what we, what we were told, when we were doing what, what commanded us and what mastered us, it was to do unrighteousness, to do sin. And he says, now you're no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. What does that mean? It means that now, rather than it being an act of rebellion to do the right thing, it's an act of rebellion to do the wrong thing. See, a slave is bound to do whatever his master tells him, and anything outside of his master's voice is an act of rebellion. And so you were once a slave to sin. In other words, it took active rebellion on your behalf to do something that was against that which mastered you. But then you get your heart circumcised by God and the flesh is cut away and you're no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. And so now it actually takes an act of rebellion for you to do the wrong thing and act outside of who you are and who's mastered you to do the wrong thing. That's amazing. Because that means you don't get up and have to sin every day. That means you get up and you get to be righteous and you have to choose to sin every day. Yeah, and as Dan would say, yay. You get up every day a slave to righteousness, no longer a slave to sin, because your heart's been circumcised by the cutting away of the flesh when you were baptized with Christ and raised with Him in His resurrection. And this, this thing that was once an outward symbol that didn't have the ability to change who you were on the inside now becomes an inward symbol that has the ability to change who you are on the outside. And that's why we have a better covenant based on better promises. And so just like that, that Jesus comes and does something similar. Job 25.4 says, How can man, a man be just with God? Or how can he be clean who is born of woman? If even, if even the moon has no brightness and the stars are not pure in his sight, how much less man, that maggot, and the son of man, that worm? Beautiful, isn't it? Isaiah 51.12, I, even I, am he who comforts you. You... Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and the son of man who's made like grass? Daniel 8, 17. So he came near to where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the end of time. Ezekiel gets called the son of man over and over and over again. Now open up to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. This is Jesus Right at the beginning of his ministry. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When Jesus identifies himself to the world, he calls himself the Son of Man. That worm, that maggot, according to the book of Job. 
who's here today and tomorrow's gone and burned like grass, according to Daniel. Jesus said, but so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth, in Mark 2.10, to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, take up your bed and walk. Why? Because Jesus comes and he calls himself the Son of Man. In fact, in the book of Matthew alone, he calls himself the Son of Man 27 times. When speaking of himself, the name that he calls himself is the Son of Man. Why? Because he came and took on our identity so that we could have his identity in exchange. So the Son of God becomes the Son of Man so that the sons of man can become the sons of God. Because you look in in 1 John 3, see what love, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. Romans 8.14, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians 4.6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Son of God becomes the Son of Man so that the Son of Man can become the Son of God. Sons of God. And that's the exchange that happens. But it's not this outward thing, right? It's not that my name changes. The day I got born again, my name didn't change. I didn't become quiet or something like that, right? Like Patty didn't become Patty, right? I'm still just Roy. Why? Because it wasn't a physical change for us. Say everything that was done in the physical is now mirrored in the internal. And so that even though my name doesn't change on the outside and no one would know that my, there's been a change and that I, my name has been exchanged like they would with Abraham, right? When they came to the house and said, hey, Abram, he said, no, 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 no. I'm not Abram anymore. I'm now Abraham. Oh, yeah? See, this is the first time we read about a name changing. So it wasn't like this would have been a common thing, you know, like nowadays people change their names to anything they want. You know, Ron Artest becomes Meta World Peace and no one even blinks an eye, right? Like for real. And the crazy thing is, is like the announcers have to say it that way because the NBA requires it. And so that, you know, they just want to say Artest, but instead they have to say World Peace every time they say his name. But, but I'm saying like, this is like not a big deal to us anymore. People change their name to whatever they want. Chad Johnson becomes Chad Ochocinco. But, but this was new. And so people would have came to his house and he would, they would have called him Abram because that was his name. And he would have said, no, my name's no longer Abram. It's Abraham. Really? Yeah, I have this covenant with God. You do? Yes, and he changed my name. Oh, and Sarai is no longer Sarai. It's Sarah. Really? So why did God do this? Well, it's because he wanted to place himself into me. Because the promise is that he would place me into himself. And not only me, but my seed that is to come. And through me, there will be a great nation. You don't even have a kid. That's okay. Through me, there will be a great nation. Listen to me. This is the God of the universe who promised me this stuff. But you're old. You can't even have kids anymore. It doesn't matter what that looks like. It doesn't matter. I have a covenant with the God of the universe. See, there's something about Abraham's faith that makes him have right standing with God. There should be something about our faith that's caused by our right standing with God. Because you understand who you are in Christ, it gives you a faith that when the questions come, you can look at them and say, it doesn't really matter, because God said. That may be true, but God said. And that trumps everything. And just a side note, be really careful when telling people God said. Make sure God said. 
And I tell people when I'm talking to them, I'll say, you know, this is just thus saith Roy. Because I don't want people to think that I'm speaking on God's behalf on something and start making decisions on it. I've seen people that because of pride of words that they said God had said to them have absolutely done just ridiculous things that they weren't supposed to do because they were too prideful to come back and say, you know what, it really wasn't God. Just be real careful. Don't point, paint yourself into a picture. When you're talking to somebody, God said it's kind of a, it, it's a conversation ender, right? So someone comes to me and asks me for advice. This happens, right? People come and they'll ask advice and they'll say what they're, they're doing. And to me, it just doesn't make any sense at all. And I'll say to them, I'll say, well, yeah, but have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Well, yeah, but God said. What am I going to say at that point? I have two choices. I either say, okay, or I tell them God didn't say that. I'm not going to do that. I mean, unless they tell me something that's completely unbiblical. Just be careful when we're talking to people that if you're saying God said that God really said. Because you never know how much people are going to bank their lives on things that you're saying. And it's not to be taken lightly. If you read through the Bible, you don't see a whole lot of people saying, Thus saith the Lord. It wasn't a flippant thing like it has become today. Yeah, just, you know, God says, really? Are you sure that God said that? Or do you just feel like that? If you want to encourage somebody and give them a word of exhortation, that's fine. Encourage them, give them a word of exhortation, but don't feel the need to start it with God says, unless God says. Someone need to hear that. Way outside the notes. Bring it back, Roy. Reel it in. So we, Jesus takes on our name. Think about that. Jesus takes on. He becomes the Son of Man. And then we become sons of God. And that's a big deal. Because no longer do we have to approach Him. See, the sons of man had to approach God with fear and with trembling because they were unsure if what they were doing was going to be acceptable in His sight. So the priests back in the day when they were the sons of man coming to, the, to God would have to wear a rope tied around their ankle and bells tied to the hem of their garments so that when they went into the temple, if what they were bringing before God wasn't acceptable to Him, when they heard the bells stop moving, they could pull them back out because they would die in His presence. See, there was fear and trembling, believe me, when the priests were getting ready to enter into the presence of God. There was dread. There was this feeling of unrest. If they were positive, they wouldn't have tied a rope around their ankle. Trust me, they weren't positive because they weren't 100% sure that what they were bringing was perfect and acceptable in His sight. And people would go into His presence and if they, what they brought wasn't acceptable, if what they brought wasn't perfect, then they would die in the presence of God because nothing unholy could be in the presence of that much holiness and live. We don't have that because we've had a name exchange and we're no longer the sons of man that have to approach God on that level. We can now boldly come before His throne as Hebrews tells us and know that we will find grace and mercy because our name has been exchanged and because the Son of Man lived perfectly and what He did was perfect. Now I can enter as a son of God and know that I'm accepted and loved unconditionally and find grace and mercy because I'm going to my Father. That's a big deal. That should give us a lot of confidence in our lives when you wake up and you realize that Jesus became who I was so that I could become who He is. You wake up in the morning and realize that the one true Son of God became the Son of Man so that I, a Son of Man, could become part of the one true Son of God and I'm in Him and I'm in His name. John 20, 
21. So Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. When we get born again, the Holy Spirit enters into us, right? Romans 8, 9 says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. When you become born again, the Spirit of God comes inside of you. That same breath that goes into Abraham, that same breath that went into Adam and brought new life that changed everything when it came comes into you jesus looks at his disciples and says listen to me as the father sent me into the world so i'm going to send you in other words your lives are about to change because no longer are you going to follow me around this world i'm now sending you the same way the father sent me and the same way that i needed this you need this and he breathes on them and that now comes inside of them and their lives are changed and they're no longer the same and they live differently. And then you get born again and your name changes and that same breath of God that was breathed into the Abraham, that was breathed into the, to the disciples, that was breathed into Adam and brought him back to life, gets breathed into you and brings you back to life and everything's changed. It's so much more than just a name. It's all that comes with the name. That's why Jesus said, anything you ask believing in my name, it will be done for you. It's not so that at the end of your prayer you say, in Jesus' name, amen. It's that you stand before God and you understand that you're in him and you're asking in the name of Christ that it's the same as Christ himself asking because you're in covenant. And if one person in covenant is asking for something, it carries the weight of the one they're in covenant with. So Jesus wasn't saying, tagline all your prayers with in my name, amen. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. That's a good thing to do to remind us of why we can have what we're asking for. And if we're saying that, it's a reminder for us. But it's not a reminder for God. When we stand before God, we either stand there in Jesus' name or not. And what we say at the end of our prayer doesn't change that. It's not that God looks down and says, well, he has no covenant, but he did say in Jesus' name. It's the covenant that guarantees that we have what we ask for fully believing according to the word. It's not the tagline. So you know how in the Old Testament, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to close up with this, but you know how in the Old Testament, Jesus would say, well, you've heard it was said this, but I tell you this. And it would go from an external to an internal thing, right? And he would say, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill, but I tell you, if you look at your brother with anger in your heart, you're guilty of murder. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. And you've committed it with her. And he would say, and what he was saying was basically, you guys have heard it said all along that it's the things that you do or the things that you don't do that make you holy or unholy. But I'm telling you from now on and under the new covenant that's coming, it's not what you do or don't do. It's the heart that matters. It's the inside that matters. It's what you want to do that matters. And that's why you have to have the old heart of stone taken from you and a new heart of flesh placed in you with his law written upon it. Because once you were a slave to sin, a woman couldn't walk by without you wanting to have adultery, commit adultery. A man couldn't make you mad without you wanting to kill him. You were a slave to unrighteousness, but now you're no longer a slave to that sin. You're a slave to righteousness, and it's an act of rebellion from the new heart and the new breath of God that's inside of you to actually go outside of that and do those things. And then, so I want to tell you another one. You've heard it said, don't take my name in vain. And you've thought that meant that if you cuss, if you say G and then attach a cuss word to it. But I'm telling you, that's not the fullness of that verse. Maybe under the old covenant that was because all they had to do was just not sleep with the woman, just not kill the person and they were okay. 
Under the new covenant, it's different. And under the new covenant, this is different. I don't, I don't think that for us to take the name of God in vain stops at a curse word. I think it means don't come into covenant with me and claim to be the Son of God after I took your title as the Son of Man and then live your life as if you're a perfectly normal human being and not the Son of God. Because that's taking my name in vain. It does you no good. It does the world no good. It does my Father no good. Because He sent me so that you could become the Son of God. So that you could become the daughter of God. And I don't think taking His name in vain stops with never saying, gee, dang it. I think it means that we take on His name and we, we become born again and we exchange our, our, our sinfulness for His righteousness and, and we exchange our old life for His new life and everything that was dies and all that stuff and then we continue to live our lives as if we're the same person, not living any differently, not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us as He is the sons of God and not allowing our lives to witness to people of who Jesus is and how much God loves them, if not praying for people, if not believing in the fullness of what Jesus died for us to become, allowing ourselves to be insecure, allowing ourselves to be labeled by the world, allowing ourselves to be broken, hurt, wounded, angry people who walk around claiming the name of Jesus but living as though nothing's really changed. I think that's taking His name in vain. Because there's three things that depend on us actually living as though we are the sons and daughters of God. One, for God's sake, He sent Jesus so that we could, do, we could become sons and daughters of God. That's His reward. That's Jesus' inheritance. That He would have a bride who lives in the knowledge of truth. Who lives as sons and daughters of God, as brothers and sisters of His. Two, for ourselves, it's a frustrating life to walk around claiming to be something that you're not. And constantly be in the Word and comparing yourself and realizing that you don't measure up, but you're still unwilling to just let go and actually live as though everything He said is true. To walk around telling people that you're supposed to love, but secretly holding on to anger and hurt and judgment and criticism. It's a frustrating life. It does you no good. And the third thing is for the people of the world, it does them no good to meet Christians who say that they have taken the name of Jesus, but don't live as though they have. And are still angry, spiteful, scoffing, critical, hurt, wounded, jealous, envying, prideful people who've just taken the name but haven't actually given their lives and let it be changed by God. Do you have to be perfect? No. No, it's not saying if you get up one day and you have a bad day and you miss the mark, there's no grace. That's what grace is for. That's why John said, if we sin, we have one who stands before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who intercedes on our behalf if we sin. Not when we sin, if. In other words, there's a chance that you might, and if you do, there's a provision for that, but that's not the expectation of your life. The expectation on your life is that you would get up every day and live as though you were a son of God, a daughter of God, and not take the name in vain. And not just walk around being another person that tells people you're a Christian and reinforces to them that Christianity is nothing they want to be part of. Actually living out what you believe. Becoming the person that Jesus died so that you could become. Living in the fullness of what it is to be redeemed, saved, healed, whole. Not just another wounded person with a story. And a reason and an excuse. To live way below where God sent His Son so that you could live. You don't have that right. 
Not if you take on His name. Not if you take on His identity. Not if you really believe that the very breath of God that brings dirt to life was breathed into you as the Holy Spirit of God entered into your body when you became born again. It's never happened before. God's never breathed into something and it not changed. And I guarantee you, He doesn't intend to start with you. I promise He doesn't. When God breathes, everything changes. When that breath of heaven comes in, that's why Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, I believe, because the first time that God breathed on a man, man gave up that breath, gave up that right, and handed it over to the enemy. And Jesus was now, his last, one of his last breaths on this earth, returning that breath back to man. Because now as the Father sent Jesus into the world, he's sending us. And that breath comes in and it changes everything. And your name may not change in the physical, just like your circumcised or uncircumcised state may not change in the physical, but on the inside there should be a change as that exchange of names come and you go from being the son of man to being the son of God. As you go from being the daughter of man to being the daughter of God. As you exchange with him because he's already exchanged with you. Something should change on the inside and it should be evident on the outside. See, before it was always on the outside. It was Everything was external. Everything was on the outside. All the change was on the outside. Now the change is all internal. But God, God is, is desiring that the internal change would manifest itself on the outside. That you wouldn't have to go and tell people, well, yeah, I've had my heart circumcised and Jesus and I exchanged names and, all, and we exchanged coats and we exchanged belts and all the other stuff that we're going to talk about. That people would come up to you like they do to people. I was talking to another person the other day. I said someone came to them and said, I want what you have. It's because your name might not change, but you do. Because there's been an exchange. Your life for His, His life for yours. He already took yours. He's just asking you to, get, to take His. It was so much more than just dying to take away your sin. It was about dying to take away your sin so that you could receive everything that you were intended to have. It was the old wine being taken out and the new wine being poured into a new wineskin. So much more than just a one day when you die, take it to heaven. It was about heaven coming into you. It's an exchange. It's a covenant. It's everlasting. It's binding. It's permanent. It's eternal. And it's His idea, and it's awesome. God, I thank You. I thank You that this was Your idea, God. That if I would have sat down and dreamed up a plan of redemption, it couldn't have been as good as this. God, but this was Your plan, Your idea, and Your doing because You love me, because You love us. God, that you didn't do this in spite of us. You did this because of us. You didn't do this so that you could love us. You did this because you loved us. God, I just ask that, that we would understand what, like what Tom was talking about, that, 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 that this is a big deal, that scales would be pulled off our eyes, that we would see who we truly are, who we've been made to be, and who we're becoming because of who we've already become. That it's the same as it was with Abraham that it is with us. That you speak to us about who we're becoming because of who you've made us to be, even if it doesn't look like it at the moment and even if we don't see it. And we learn to just hear you and hear from heaven and say yes and agree and live our lives in agreement with your words over our life. It doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to add up. It just has to be you. 
I thank you for that, God. I ask that this, this, this understanding of covenant that we had would just be so ingrained in us that, that we would reject anything outside of your will for our lives because we know the covenant we have is better than that. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we have a, a couple that's been coming here for a while, and, and I think this is through guys last Sunday, and then you guys are moving. They're moving. I want you guys just to turn, if you can, towards the back, and, and, um, and we're going to pray over them as they go. You guys, if you want to just stand up right there, it's fine. And, and if anyone wants to put their hands on them as we pray for them, listen, it would be weird if we didn't lay hands on each other because Paul calls that one of the biblical foundations of our faith. Yeah, like Jesus being resurrected from the dead, like the cross being for the forgiveness of sins, he puts the laying on of hands in that same category. He says, let us not go over once again the basics of faith. And he lists the laying on of hands as a basic of faith. And so if you guys would just pray over them and, and bless them as they go, God, we thank you so much. Um, I, I just ask, God, that, that as they go, that you would watch over them, that you would open doors for them, God, that the things that they've learned and the things you've imparted to them while they were here, God, that they would take with them, God, that their lives would be marked, that they would be different, that they would be changed because of who you are in their lives and because of what they know of you, God. I ask that you use them, God, as they go, that that you would open doors for them to be able to pour into other people, God, that their lives would not just be in existence, but that they would be fully alive, fully aware of your calling on their life, their lives and your plan for them. God, I just ask that as they go, you, you, you would watch over them, that you would open every door that needs to be opened, shut every door that, needs, that should be shut, God. That no weapon formed against them can prosper. That their marriage is blessed, God. That their relationship is blessed. God, that their offspring, their children will be blessed because of their covenant with you, God. That all those around them would be blessed. That as they go and they go into the workplace, that they bring the favor of God and the blessing of God walking in with them. I thank you for that, that their lives would be a testimony to you, God. And we just bless them as they go. And thank you for the time that they were here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, We love you guys. We have youth tonight. Um, Yeah, we're really excited about that. Anybody middle school and high school age is welcome to come hang out with us. Um, We're going to have worship. The plan right now is that we're going downtown tonight. We're going to go in the park. We're going to have acoustic worship, and then we're going to go out and tell people about the love of God and um, and share with them. So that's the plan for right now. Um, if everything goes according to plan, we meet here at six o'clock. Please try to be here by six, if not a little bit earlier, so that we can um, get going downtown and, and make sure that we're not running too late tonight um, with the time that we end. We love you guys and. Hope to see you guys back here really soon. We have some amazing ministry opportunities coming up real soon that we're going to be talking about. The church is getting involved in. It's pouring into the lives of middle school and high school kids um, through a program where the kids actually get released from school to go. Yeah, where the kids actually get released from school to go for one of their classes and they get class credit to go and be loved on and learn about Jesus. And I'm going to be doing some speaking there and they need help with transporting people. Yeah. So it's going to be an amazing opportunity for our church to partner with something that is actually these, these kids, they want to get out of school, man. So they just go right. And then you've got them for an hour. They're a captive audience. They have nowhere to go and you've got them for an hour. And so many of them don't go to church and have no way of getting to a church. Their parents don't go to church, but they find their way to this release time and they're there and we can love on them and pour into them and tell them about Jesus. Yeah. And see people's lives change. So I'm going to, I'm getting details right now. It hasn't started up yet. It starts up in a week and I'm talking with the lady that's the director of it. And when I have more details on how you can get involved, we'll pass that on. I want to see our church get involved. 
put get behind it and pour into these kids, okay? And you can do it on all different days, so your schedule is not an issue anymore. All you, I can't do things on Saturday, people. Have no excuse anymore because it's Monday through Friday, any day that you want to, and most of the times that you can pick. So we love you guys. We're excited about that, and uh, look forward to seeing you back here Sunday. Find some people you don't know. Say hey to them, and um, we'll see you guys back here next week.